priority. The word means to take precedence or urgency. It's somewhat of a, it's, it's a state of being in superiority or rank. It's something that is very important and must be addressed before other things. Uh, this word has become more and more popular as of late, kind of somewhat of a, a buzzword. Uh, we hear people talking about priorities in the workplace. We hear about people talking about priorities in education and schooling. And frankly, we even hear people talk about this word in churches as well. So our scripture for today is an excellent example of what it means to set your priorities straight. There's so many things that we can do that are good. I mean, obviously there's a lot of things we can do that are bad as well, but there's a lot of things we can do that are, that are good things. But there are some things that are better, and there's one thing that is best. And I pray that, that as we go through the Scripture today, we can see maybe where we're struggling with that. Uh, frankly, that we see many people, even leaders of businesses, even leaders of, of churches that struggle with priority, to keep the main thing the main thing, to make Jesus the main thing. Uh, their priorities may be growth or, or change or whatever it is, and, and yet that is not the right priority. They've traded Christ for outcomes. Parents have done the same thing with their families. They, they, they focused on behavior modification instead of heart change. Outward looks and how they look to the world versus what they really are on the, the inside. So as we go through our scripture today, I pray that we consider how we can be sure that we have Jesus Christ as our number one priority, namely Him and His Word. So join me as I read our scripture for today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. It's a, a little shorter passage here, but it is not without a punch. Uh, so let's start in reading in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace. I thank you for the opportunity to come and preach your word this morning. I am not worthy to do it. No man is worthy to do it. God, we're not worthy to hear your word. But Lord God, you've loved us so much that not only did you die on the cross for our sins, which is the greatest gift ever, that you came to earth, that you lived a sinless life, that you died on the cross for our sins, that we can have eternal life through you, but you've also given us your words so that we can understand more and more about who you are, more and more about what you love, about your character. And so, God, I pray that you open up our hearts and minds to hear your word. May you change us from the inside out. May you speak through me, and may we be edified and grow in sanctification today. We love you, Lord. Amen. So first off, we should know that this account is only found in the Gospel of Luke. We actually don't see this in the other three Gospels. And we also need to know it, it seems that this is likely not in chronological sequence. So mu much of Luke has been in chronological sequence so far, maybe a couple of things. But we talked about how Luke, and he was a, a Greek writer, and a lot of the Greek writers were more topical-based than sequence-based. And so we see that Bethany is actually very close to Jerusalem. We talked about how once we entered this chapter, we entered this, this journey to Jerusalem. And so for the rest of the book, it's actually, we're looking at like the last six months of Jesus' ministry. So the majority of what Luke writes 
is on that road, that journey to Jerusalem. And this is probably closer to the end of that journey, being that close to Jerusalem. However, it makes sense, again, because that's oftentimes how that, that, that they wrote back then. So, but, but in his topical style, it really makes sense that this would be here, because he just, we just went through the parable of the Good, Samaritans a couple, or Good Samaritan a couple of weeks ago. And what did that talk about? Loving your neighbor as yourself, and even loving your enemy as yourself, as the Samaritans and Jews were not really close, <laughs> if, we, if you remember what we talked about. And now we're going to see that we love God first. We love Jesus first, him and his teaching. So it makes sense that this would be where it's at in his gospel. So Luke charges his reader today to have a single-minded devotion to Jesus Christ. So as we continue studying this great scripture, I want, I want you to ask yourself this question over and over again as we compare these two sisters. Is Christ and his word my number one priority? Uh, is, is Christ and his word my number one priority. So we're going to get to our points now, and I know for those of you who've come here for a while, you're going to be really thrown off today because I only have two points. I'm usually a three-pointer, but I'm, I'm going to be a two-point shooter today instead of a three-point shooter, so bear with me and forgive me for my, my change for those of you who don't like change a whole lot. Uh, so we're going to see two ways that we can seek what is best over everything else, and the first point is we seek what's best by learning from the Lord. We seek what's best by learning from the Lord. I'm going to reread verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So again, we don't know the exact timeline between the Good Samaritan and this account, but Luke lets us know that he's entered this village. And we, we're not told here whether the disciples are with him or not. I, I tend to think they probably were because Martha is kind of flipping out, as we'll see in a little bit. And as we read, she's doing all kinds of serving. It was just Jesus. I mean, she would probably be flipping out some, but if it's Jesus and his disciples, there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of mouths to be fed. And so it appears that there's probably a qu qu quite a crowd that's arrived. And this, this village that we entered isn't specifically told to us here, but we know in John 11, 1 this. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So we know where we're at. We're, we're in Bethany, if we're looking here. And there's a map that we'll show here, too. And we can see how close Bethany is to Jerusalem, uh, about two miles from Jerusalem. So we're, we're pretty close. And this, because of this strategic location of Bethany, uh, this was a, a favorite spot for Jesus. He spent a lot of time with his family in Bethany. Uh, they were kind of his shelter from the storm of Jerusalem. We've been introduced to, this, to one of the sisters already, Martha, and in the next verse, we see the other sister in verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So whereas Martha was the initiator, the welcoming team there, now we have Mary, and we're introduced to her, and it says that she sits at the Lord's feet and listens. Wow. The actual Greek word here is, is continual listening. Uh, it, it, it's, she is continually sitting and listening to his word. It's not just that she listens for a little while. Like she is just can't get enough of what he is teaching. What an example Mary is for us as we, as we read that verse. Sometimes we can just gloss over it. But, but her number one priority at this point is listening to Jesus, to listening to his word. Uh, do you listen to Jesus like Mary did? Is that your number one priority when all of the things, all the bells and whistles of life are, are yelling at you and are screaming for your attention? Do you, do you sit and listen to Jesus? I'm not saying you have to sit there all day, every day, but we are to pray without ceasing. We should be cognizant of Jesus every step. Is that what you really want to do? 
people often tell me they want to hear a word from God. You know, they, they, they want to hear a word from God. Well, my friends, you can hear a word from God at any point, anytime, anywhere. No, it's not necessarily going to be the heavens opening up and speaking to you, but God in his word speaks to us in 66 books, 1,189 chapters, and a lot of verses. So, I mean, when you're looking there, none of this scripture weren't actually chapters and verses, but, but whenever it was originally written, but, there, but we can hear the word of God. I mean, it is the inerrant word of God, and every time that you read it, it's going to be inerrant, and it's the right word. If you want to hear from God, pick up his word and read it. And then I have to ask, do, do you read the Bible expecting Jesus to speak, expecting God to speak into your life? Like when you're making that decision, you're trying to figure out, should I take this job or that job? And obviously you can't find the direct scripture reference that says, thou shalt take job A. You know, and sometimes people kind of are a little weird with the Bible. Like, I'm just going gonna, just gonna to do one of these. I'm going to turn. No, that, that's kind of voodoo. Let's not, let's not do that. Let's, let's not treat our scripture that way. But it is the inerrant word of God, and you can read, and you can see what God values. And you start to see, well, this one job is a little less ethical than the other job, and that helps. Or if you're looking for a relationship, and, and you're like, well, this guy, does he really love the Lord? And we, we see we're not supposed to be unequally yoked. And the, the, the Bible speaks at every single decision you're ever going to make in your life, either in principle or just directly. And do we really believe that it's inerrant, that it's that useful? And if we did, we would use it, right? We would actually treat it that way. But many of us, we don't come to the Bible expecting God to speak. We come to the Bible, if we come to it at all, we'll see in a little while, we, we come to it to get it done. I just need to get my scripture reading for the day done so I can go do the rest of my life. Man, that's not how Mary did it. Mary sat there just soaking up the word of God. And the last question in this, app, like this first application is, what is hindering you from regularly listening to Jesus through reading his word? That's the question we really need to truthfully address in our lives. Like, why don't we read the Bible? Like, what is wrong with our culture, the biblical illiteracy? We, we talked a few weeks ago about how 50, or 43% of people that go to church every week think Jesus was created in Bethlehem. That's heretical. There's a church down the road that believes that, and they're called Jehovah's Witnesses. Like, that is not Christian. That's not Orthodox Christianity. But there are 43% of people that call themselves Christians that go and sit and listen to sermons, and that's what they believe. Why? Because they don't read it. They don't read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.1, 1, 1, it's so clear that God has been forever. They don't look at Colossians. And in Him all things have been created, and in Him all things hold together. We need to know the Scripture so that we know what is wrong. And according to a, a study by the U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics, the average American spends between 9 minutes and 30 minutes daily on organizational, civic, and religious activities. And actually, the average American's closer than 9 to 10 minutes. It's actually the 75 and older. If you're in that crowd, you don't have to raise your hand, but you're winning. You, you got 30 minutes per day. The rest of the world is about 9 to 10 minutes per day spent on, and that's religious or civic. could be government stuff. It could be other things. Let's compare what's, what is almost the, the greatest use of time for Americans. If we look at across all age groups, it's actually even greater, almost greater, it's greater than sleep and personal care in some groups, but it's close. What is this time-wasting vortex? It's, it's in there. Right, a survey says, is what I wanted to say, is actually, um, it's leisure and sports. Leisure being social media, part of that too. The average American... And again, 4.15 to 7.5 hours per day. Wow, and a lot, and if you're looking at the younger generation, they're closer to 
And by younger, <laughs> I mean even middle age. So, so, so you're looking at, at those seven and a half. So what that says, if you're like most Americans, it, it's not your household activities, it's not your job. It's not even caring for children, which takes a lot of time. Can I get an amen? <laughs> you know, uh, you know the, the, it's not those things that hinder your Bible reading. It's leisure, it's sports, a television, movies, social media, sports, and mindless entertainment just destroy our time with God. And that's the time that we have power to do something different. We could choose not to. I get you got to sleep, you got to work, you've got to do those different things. You got to take care of your kids. Can't just let them go around run playing traffic, right? You, you have to do those things. But we, do we really make spending time with Jesus a priority? I, I, I really want you to think about your daily calendar. If you don't have a calendar, have one. You need a calendar. If you don't, it's kind of like money. If you don't have a budget, you're not handling your money well. And it's not your money, it's God's money. And it's not your time, it's God's time. So when you are a bad steward of either one, you're a bad steward of what God has given you and you're sinning. I mean, that's what the Bible talks about. Like, we need to be good stewards of the grace that God has given us, the time that he's given us, the money he's given us. We'll, be, we'll, give, we'll even give an account of every word we've said. We're definitely going to give an account of how we spend our time on earth. And when you look at your calendar, do you schedule time with God? I would argue most people don't. But here's the problem. Like, you know, you, you, you prioritize the doctor's appointment. Okay, I, mean, I can't miss that. I've got to make sure I go there. But you don't keep the appointment with the God of the universe. Uh, you, you prioritize that meeting at work, but you don't prioritize the meeting with a God who made you, who worked on you to fashion you in your mother's womb. I just pray that you take a step back and evaluate how you prioritize your life and your schedule. The psalmist who wrote Psalm 119 obviously understood the importance of the Word of God. Psalm 119, 103 through 105, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is the lamp unto my feet and the light to my path. I just read that in the KJV, that last one, because that's how I learned it back in the day. It's so hard to not say unto. Um, and the songs that were out there too. But may we love Jesus and his word. May we love him more than the things of this world. The, the word that trains us, guides us, and gives us wisdom to accomplish his will and purpose. And may we emulate Mary, as we see here in Luke 10, as she sits at the feet of Jesus, soaking up his word. There's another thing that, that's really easy to miss in this verse. It's not the main thrust of this passage, but I think we need to know this. And if we look, Mary's keeping her priority straight. Obviously, we see that. That's the main thrust of what we're, what we're seeing in this text. But what we may miss is, in biblical times, this was unheard of. And you're like, well, what's this? A woman sitting at the feet of a rabbi. Like, this is a huge, huge deal. And we just kind of read over in today's world. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, women go to church. They listen to the preacher. You know, they do this. Or they have women's groups. But back then, actually, that was really weird. That was not something you saw, that a woman would be able to sit at the feet of a rabbi. And Jesus is teaching her. Actually, Jewish teaching did not specifically forbid a woman from learning. But listen to the, the, the Talmud here. It says, may the words of the Torah be burned. They should not be handed over to a woman. Or to women. That is pretty awful stuff. I mean, you can see that Jesus did not buy that religiosity. Uh, Jesus, instead, he, he rejects this unbiblical, ungodly view of women, and he is teaching Mary. How amazing is that? Although complimentary in the roles Jesus understood and taught, equal value and intrinsic worth of men and women. I know that's not the thesis part of the text, but we need to note 
just how gracious God is, how gracious Jesus Christ is here. So Mary's provided us with a great example of what it looks like to have correct priorities. Moving forward, we're going to see a contrast between this sister and the other sister, which brings us to our second point. We seek what's best by leaning on the Lord, by leaning on the Lord. We're going to move to verse 40, just the first half of this verse. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Mm. Martha was distracted. Mary was single-mindedly focused on Christ, but Martha was distracted. And this Greek word here for distracted means to be pulled away or dragged away. You know, it, there, there's, there's kind of like, it take, takes energy to, to drag that. It, it shows that there's a fight within her. She knows what she's supposed to be doing. She sees Mary and she's like, yeah, yeah, I need to do that, but I have all of this work I need to do. I've got to do this, and if there's all the disciples there, there's a lot of mouths to feed, and you know, these young guys can probably put down the food. Anybody's got young men in their family, have mercy, they can put down some food. You know, you couldn't just go to, you know, Golden Corral and let them hit a buffet. Like, she's making all this. She's working hard to get things ready. She wants to listen to Jesus, but she feels the burden of this work that she has to do. It's not that Martha doesn't love Jesus. We're going to see she, she, has, she loves Jesus. She has really good theology. She's actually a solid woman of God. But she cannot let go of her worldly duties to focus on Christ. This is where we get our, our sermon title, uh, and, and we see that best is always greater than good. What Martha's doing is good. Practice hospitality. We see that throughout the scripture. It, it's very, very common to come out, be hospitable, practice hospitality. It's a good thing to practice hospitality, but it's a better thing, and it's the best thing to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn and listen. So instead of learning from her sister, Martha goes a different way. She starts to develop a bitter root in her heart. Anybody ever had a bitter root? Mm, it's not good. It, it, it's not a good thing when that bitter root starts to creep up, and it is so easy to get there. So easy. This is very common for those who are doing the work of the Lord, sadly. Very common people in churches, and they're, they're doing this, and they're serving their servant, and they're like, what about them? What are they doing? I mean, I think we all can be there sometimes. Well, what about them? We see Peter has a bitter root toward John. Remember whenever they're standing there and Jesus lets Peter know how he's going to die? And he's like, what about that guy? What about him? He's like, don't worry about him. You know, you worry about yourself. I mean, you know, like that's pretty much that's a paraphrase version of that. But, you know, it, that we, we sometimes get that bitter root. Like, well, I mean, what about them? They're not having to pay the cost I'm having to pay. They're not showing up like I am. They're not doing what I'm doing. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews speaks on this in Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. The devil is an accuser. He likes to whisper things in our ears. And oftentimes those whispers are going to be about our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not, not about the person you really do need to stay away from. <laughs> the, the, the person that's really going to be the bad influence is actually the person that you're called to love well. And those are the people that he'll Start to bring those bitter roots. It's your, it's your siblings a lot of times. It's your parents, your kids, your brothers, your sisters. You know, other people, uh, it's your aunts and uncles. It's your grandparents that you start to believe these lies. And frankly, those bitter roots have destroyed countless marriages with statements like this. He doesn't do as much as I do around the house. Or why doesn't she seem to care about my needs? You know, things like that. The, those bitter roots that destroy sibling relationships and workplace relationships and church relationships and friendships. 
how easily we start to play the, the comparison game with others. Looking at the rest of this verse, we see that the result of such a bitter root in the heart of Martha, that Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up and told, or went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I wonder what the attitude in that was. I'd love to hear like the inflection in her voice whenever she says this. Her question is very telling of this bitter root that's developed in her heart. And, and, and what we see here is that this bitter root has not only affected her relationship with Mary. Obviously, her and Mary probably aren't BFFs right now. They're probably not doing really, really well. There's probably some clash here. But who else, what other relationship in Martha's life was affected by this? Her relationship with Jesus. So not, not only, the, the Apostle John warns us of this in 1 John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Wow, that's tough. For he who, is, who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Her ire for her sister produced a barrier in her relationship with her Lord and Savior. Don't miss this really important teaching in this scripture. If your heart is not right toward your brothers and sisters around you, it will not be right with God. Your relationship with others directly is correlated to your relationship with God. If you can't love your brother or sister who's in front of you, you can't love God the way you need to. But instead of leaning on the Lord for help, she seems to petition him, and somewhat brashly here. Looking back at verse 40, she literally commands Jesus to act. Well, I can tell you one thing. Commanding God to act is not a good idea. I would not suggest it. Although there's a lot of false teachers that seem to think he's a genie, and if you rub the lamp the right way, he's going to do whatever you want him to do, and you can tell him what to do. That's not what the Bible teaches. Listen to the psalmist, Psalm 115.3. Our God is in the heavens. He does what? You what you want? No, he does all he pleases. He is God, and you are not. Understand that when you come to him. But Martha... In verse 40 here, her complaint to Jesus is all about assumption. This is really an assuming question. It's a question that actually assumes a, a yes, an agreeing answer. Kind of almost a rhetorical question. Like she says, I mean, of course Jesus is going to agree with her. She's doing all the work. Mary's not doing anything but just sitting there like a knot on the log. And so, yeah, of course Jesus has got my back on this. You know, and so she just assumes that you know, Jesus wants what's fair, right? He wants to do what's right. how our work-based self-righteousness loves to prove our worth by how we work. We may not say it that way, but we certainly live it that way. Instead of leaning on the Lord for power, instead of leaning on the Lord for affirmation, instead of leaning on Him for direction, we like to lean our se on ourselves and show what we can do. And then when we get burned out and fatigued, we look at others that haven't maybe done as much as we have, we're like, ha, ah, I told you. I mean, I was the one doing all the work. And man, it's just, then we complain to the Lord. And what about them? Church, if we want to have any staying power in ministry, I know some of you are just like, ministry, I'm, I'm not called a ministry. That's your job, pastor. It's like, no, no, actually, I, you know, you may be saying, I didn't sign up to be a preacher. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not called to be a minister, but don't mean you have to be a pastor. Some of you might be called a pastoring. I'll talk to you about it if you want to talk about it. But each of us are called to be a minister of the gospel. And the Bible's clear that every one of you, if you are in Christ, your new creation, you're a minister of the gospel. Dad, you're a minister to your family, your wife, your kids. You're to shepherd them well. Wives, you're to minister to your husbands and to your children. You're to love them well and fulfill what God has called you to do. Sons and daughters, you're to minister to one another. 
to your siblings, to your friends. And then you're to minister to the body of Christ, 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You should be serving your brothers and sisters here at Crosspoint and even across the church universal. That's why we stress membership and service to the body because we're made one body, many parts. We're to serve one another and love one another and minister to one another. And lastly, you're a minister to the gospel to a lost and dying world. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, 16 through 20, last I checked, there's not a qualifier that says you have to be an elder, pastor, overseer, bishop, or even a deacon. I don't see that in that scripture. I don't know if you all, maybe you have a different version than I have. Maybe it says that, but, but it actually says to who? He's saying to everybody, go and preach the gospel to the world. You are ministers. You may not be a pastor, but you're a minister of the gospel. You have the good news. You have a heart that has been changed by the Prince of Peace, and it is your job to share the gospel. A, a great many pastors have stated in the past, it's not the pastor's job to increase the size of his flock. And that, that's kind of a, a weird, in, in our society, it's like, well, no, the pastor needs to grow the church, right? What's the pastor going to do to grow the church? Actually, sheep produce sheep. Shepherds don't produce sheep. So it's actually your job to see souls saved, to preach the gospel. I don't know your neighbor. I don't know your coworker. I don't know your brother or sister that may live somewhere around here. I, I don't know your aunt or uncle. I don't have those relationships. You have those relationships, and you're to leverage those relationships for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we want to see this church grow and, and see lost people saved, it's on you, church. My job is to feed you all. My job is to preach the word of God and to make sure that we stay focused on the cross, on Jesus Christ, that we're living our lives to glorify him. But it is your job to invite people. It's your job to share the gospel. Now, I have that individually, just like you do. And so I need to be doing that as well. I'm not saying that, but my pastoral role, that actually is not part of my pastoral role. My pastoral role, you don't see that in the scriptures. I'm to keep false teaching out of here. I'm to make sure that if there's someone that's, that's not in unity, that we deal with things like that. I'm to open up the word, to preach the word, be prepared in season, out of season. But, but so often what we've done in the, in the church, and Brother Jim and I were actually talking about this, one of his concerns sometimes is, Sometimes we, in the Amer American church, we have one of these, that's for the professionals, that's what they do, you know. Uh, you know, church members, they don't have to do these things. That's what the pastor does, that's what the deacon does, that's what the elder does. But the burden of lost souls is on you as much as it is on me. May we feel that weight, that weight of people's salvation hanging in the balance, and our job is to preach the gospel to them. Yet we can only do that. We can only minister to the Lord by using his strength. Martha, she's ministering in her own strength, and she's about to burn out, as we see. She just did, and she just finally had enough. If we don't work in his strength, we're going to turn out with Martha, and we're going to have a bitter root developing in our hearts. Moving on to verse 41, we, we see Jesus' reply to this bitter root. It says, But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But Martha assumed again that Jesus was going to be on her side. You know, she, yeah, of course, that he would, he would agree with her. But he doesn't. He comes at her with a rebuke. But this rebuke is actually very loving and tender. In, 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 the, in line with the heart of 1 Peter 3, 7, he rebukes her gently and lovingly. You know, unlike Peter when he says, get behind me, Satan. He, he speaks to her a lot more lovingly and gently. 
And he mentions two problems that she, that she is facing in this general rebuke. As, she, as he says her name twice, which kind of symbolizes uh, just an emotive response. I, you know, I love you, Martha, but here's where you're wrong. That doubling of, of her name. He says that she is anxious and troubled. Jesus wants her to know that the cares of this world will choke out the teachings of God, as we see in Luke 8, 14. He wants her to know that there is grave danger for not having her priorities in line. Although these two descriptive words of anxious and troubled are very similar, there are two parts of this underlying issue. Her anxiety refers to her inward struggle. It's a struggle of the mind. I'm sure we all have anxious thoughts at times, things that hit us that we just can't seem to get rid of. They make us worry. They make us concerned. And, and this mental turmoil can drive you crazy. And it will be consuming if it's not dealt with and given to the Lord. And if this inner mental, mental turmoil persists, it can lead to, become, to being troubled. Uh, her being troubled points to her outward agitation. This is the result of the inner struggle. You, know, you can be anxious and no one really knows it. You can have a cool exterior, but you can still be worried and anxious. But if you let that worry and anxiety continue to go unbridled, you, you haven't sought the Lord, you haven't sought wise counsel, you haven't read His Word, you haven't given it to Him in prayer, you haven't relied on the power of the Holy Spirit, it's going to come out. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, if you continue to allow that to go in your mind and continue to just envelop your whole person, it will come out as agitation, irritability. And that is where Martha stands. She is anxious and she is troubled, and it's now become very obvious that she's anxious and troubled about many things, some of which are even good. Yet she is not concerned enough about the best thing, which brings us to verse 42. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus points her to what really matters most. There is one thing that is necessary. And what he means is there is one thing that is to be held up, held up and appreciated over all. This is the statement where the word priority comes in. One thing should have the highest priority in our lives. And he says that Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away for her, from her. In other words, she has chosen the better thing, and in the context, she has chosen the best thing, which is Jesus Christ. There is nothing better than choosing him. My, my friends, if there's anyone here that hasn't made that profession of faith, that hasn't made him the best thing of their life, he is the best thing out there, but maybe he's not the best thing in your life because he's not in your life. He's around your life, but maybe you haven't submitted yourself to the Lordship of Christ. You haven't been born again. You haven't repented of your sins and trusted in the God who took on flesh as we're about to celebrate in a week that he came to earth. Again, he was, he was eternal, eternal God came to earth in the form of a baby in a manger, the humble estates, came as a servant, lived a sinless life, died on the cross some 2,000 years ago, and rose from the dead three days later to take the wrath of God that was directed toward you for your sins. I pray that you do that today if you haven't done that, if you haven't fully understood that, you haven't, you haven't made him the necessary thing of your life. Because here's the thing, he, We've talked about this many times, and I pray that you continue to, to ask yourself this question. Is he my number one priority? Is he the main thing of my life, or is he just something I add to, something I, 
I do, do the whole church thing on Sunday morning. Yeah, sometimes. But maybe I do this. Is he really the, the, the main thing of my life? Because if he's not the main thing, he may not be in your life at all, my friends. The Bible's clear that he's not going to be your co-pilot. He's not going to be your fire insurance. No, he requires a sold-out devotion to him. You are born again, a new creation. And that new creation wants nothing more than to please the one who saved it. My friends, if you don't have a love for Christ because you don't understand how bad you were or how bad you maybe are right now and you haven't realized the sin that was paid for on that cross and what he did on that cross, the transaction of his wonderful grace for your awful sins, the crimson sins that have been washed as white as snow, I pray that you do that today, that you make sure you've done that, that you make sure that you truly are in Christ, that you are a new creation, that you're not just one of those people, again, scariest, one of the scariest verses in the Bible are when people come in front of Jesus and they're like, Lord, I cast demons out in your name. I did all these things. And he says, Lord, depart from me. I never knew you. I pray that that's no one here. I pray that we know without a shadow of a doubt that we are in Christ, that we are a new creation. Because if we, if we exalt anything above Christ, it is sin. And only when Christ is our first priority can we be successful at anything in this life as a Father, mother, spouse, son, daughter, employee, church member, friend. It's only when we are learning from the Lord and leaning on the Lord that we can serve him in a lasting and effective way. Let's come to a close. I want to give some, some hope for those who may struggle to be a Martha sometimes. And I think as Christians, some of us, especially we're type A Christians, we can sometimes be all about the serving and not about listening enough. I think we can all be there at times, and some of us more than others. I'm a doer, and I have to make myself listen. Like I, I, You have to know which way you maybe seem to go. Maybe you're more do-do-do, go-go-go, or maybe you're one of those people that, man, you just need somebody to put a fire poker up your backside so you actually get anything done because you're just one of those that will just sit there and just, oh, you know. And we, we have to know that our whole life can't be spent just sitting. We, we also need to do, James tells us to be doers of the word. We don't want to hear this as we're going to become a, a, a Buddhist and start just meditating all day. Like that's not what we're called to do. But we need to know which way that we seem to lean so that we can keep that pendulum in the middle, so that we can serve him well. And for those of you who may struggle being type A, we see that Martha finally got it. We, we see uh, there's only two people that we see that make the greatest professions of Christ's deity while he's on earth. We see Peter profess Jesus is the Christ in Matthew 16, 16. Yet we see Martha do the same in John 11, 21 through 27, and maybe even better. Uh, so let, let, let's go ahead and listen to this conversation. Lazarus, her brother, has just recently died, and we see this. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. See her, the faith? Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Don't miss this last verse, verse 27. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Wow. Martha finally got it. She understood who Jesus was. She learned how to choose the best 
over the good. She came to an understanding of what really mattered most, and that was Jesus Christ. And my question for you is, have you? Have you come to an understanding that there is nothing greater or more important than Jesus Christ and his word? If not, may today be the day where you change that. Ask the Lord to help you to make him the number one priority of your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. As we spend this time of reflection on your word, and we, we think about Mary and Martha here and the comparison that we see, the, the, the contrast that we see, may you help us to, to know where maybe we are struggling keeping our priorities straight. May you help us to repent of where we aren't doing what we need to be doing. Or maybe we're spending too much time on that sports and leisure thing. Or we're spending too much time on social media. Or too much time on movies and all these things that, that scream for our attention. You help us to repent of that and make you our number one priority. All of those other things. Not that every single thing is bad. But all those things are going to waste away. They're going to be gone. But you are the one thing that remains. And so may we make you the priority that you deserve. We love you, Lord. Amen.